Merry Christmas, good news. How we doing? Yeah, fantastic. It's so good to see you this morning. My name is Strider, one of the pastors here, and uh, we're so excited that you're here to worship with us this morning. If you are new or visiting, uh, welcome, a special welcome to you. We have something that we call the Connect Card, and the seat back's in front of you. It looks like this. would love for you to take one of those, uh, fill it out, uh, and you can drop these in the black boxes at the back of the room on your way out. We just love to be able to connect with you and know that you are here this morning. Uh, at the bottom of the card, you'll see a few next steps, and one of those is if you'd like to have lunch with a pastor. Uh, Smiley, uh, who's our campus pastor here, is at World Golf Village this morning, uh, and so uh, he would love to have lunch with you. So if you if would like to know more about good news and, and get connected, you could check that on your uh, Connect card. And also, we have one more Discover Good News class coming up uh, this month. This is on uh, this Wednesday from 6 to 8. Uh, so if you've been coming to Good News uh, and for a while and would like to make this your church home, you are invited to come. Uh, you can just mark that on your card and let us know that you would like to uh, attend. And, and if you've got questions and want to know more about Good News and who we are and what we believe and get connected, you could also come to Discover Good News as well. Um, wanted to let you know that out in the lobby there's a couple of tables because we have some really fun stuff coming up at the end of this month. Uh, there are flyers uh, out there that look like this. You can grab one of those on your way out, but I wanted to draw your attention to two things. Uh, we do have our last Super Sunday for 2023. Um, uh, New Year's Eve falls on a Sunday, and so we're doing a Super Sunday from 4 to 6 that afternoon. The theme is Game On, and so we're going to play some cornhole and have a bunch of games for the kids, uh, probably even do a little miniature countdown, uh, fake countdown for the clock. Uh, and so we're going to provide a bunch of just kind of sandwich stuff and would love for you to bring sides and fruit and dessert, uh, and it's going to be a blast. Um, there is a table where you can register uh, to, uh, to come to uh, Super Sunday, and it'd be super helpful to have an RSVP and a headcount and kind of a number of folks coming so that we can best plan for that. So make sure you swing by that table uh, on your way out. The other thing that's happening starting January 7th is Joe and Sally Moore will be uh, uh, doing the Meaning of Marriage class again. Tim Keller wrote a book called Meaning of Marriage. It is excellent. And so um, if you would like to join other uh, couples or if you are um, uh, single and would like to uh, know more about God's design and purpose for marriage, would encourage you to uh, participate, register for that class. Um, but that's also uh, right here on this flyer and has more information. And so grab one of these on your way out. Last but not least, we have uh, someone coming to make Good News Church their home, and so I'm going to invite Tara to, uh, to come forward and, uh, and her small group to come up at this time as well. Tara, I'm going to get you right, right over here next to me. It's perfect. And uh, this is Tara Doyle. She is in the Gurnans uh, small group, and so it's just really fun, really neat picture to have you standing on the stage uh, surrounded by your family in Christ. And so we're thankful that you have come to faith in Christ, that you know Jesus, and you're coming this morning to, um, to declare that publicly. And so uh, I'm going to read these vows uh, to you this morning, and I just would encourage you uh, that if you're a member of Good News, as, as Tara takes these vows, that you would lean in too. Because every time we go to a wedding and we hear someone else uh, proclaim their vows of love to one another, it's a great opportunity for us to renew our vows as well. And so um, here we go. Tara, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God 
justly deserving his wrath and hopeless without his mercy. And do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners, and do you trust in him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? And do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will seek to live as followers of Christ should? And do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And lastly, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to promote its purity and peace? Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for Tara. Thank you for uh, drawing her to yourself. Thank you for the gift of saving faith, for, uh, for uh, moving in her to um, allow her to believe in you and for applying the salvation which you purchased for her on the cross so many years ago to her. Lord, thank you that she is surrounded by community. And uh, Jesus, thank you that she is both united to you and united to your body. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would help her and us to fulfill the vows that she has just taken. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me be the first to welcome you officially. I know you've been here a while, but officially to the body here at Good News. And after the service is over, would encourage you to do the same. So, so glad you're a part of Good News. Well, good morning. Happy Lord's Day. Um, I am, I'm so excited to be up here this morning to be able to open God's Word with you and to preach. Uh, if you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and grab that and flip with me to Jonah 3? And when you get there, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Uh, sometimes we stand so that we can set this apart in our own minds so that we know this is holy, this is our only infallible rule for faith and practice. It is uh, inerrant. It is inspired by God. We've been in the book of Jonah for the month of December, calling this Christmas series Christmas in Nineveh. And while, while Jonah might not be the first book of the Bible that comes to mind when you think Christmas, we believe that Christmas is all about Jesus, and we believe that every book of the Bible, Jesus is the main character of so you'll see how uh, Jonah can be all about Christmas as well. So reading of God's word, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the, ro when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes." 
He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger, so that we will not perish." When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Might be helpful to go ahead and recap what's been happening in the book of Jonah. Jonah is a familiar book of the Bible for many of us who have been Christians for a while. And really the main thing that we normally latch on to is the fact that a big fish came and swallowed a guy, and he stayed alive in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. Pretty miraculous. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah says, I don't want to do what you're calling me to. God had told him to go to Nineveh. He says, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go to Tarshish. When Jonah is setting sail, uh, the ship that he's in, along with the crew, they face a heavy storm. Uh, they figure out that the reason they're in, a, they're in a storm is because Jonah is running from his God. And because of that, uh, they throw him overboard. So that's scary. Uh, he's thrown into a stormy sea. A big fish comes, eats him, and he's now in the belly of a big fish for three days and three nights. He repents. That's what we read last week about his repenting in the fish. And then the fish spits him out on solid ground, or on dry land. So, that's where we pick up again now in the book of Jonah. I, I don't want us to miss this. This is pretty cool to me, that God's willingness to re-employ Jonah into God's service, uh, I don't think we should forget that or, or miss that. What a, what a gracious thing for God to do. After how Jonah behaved, after how he ran from God, how he went the other direction, how he uh, did what he wanted to do, um, for God to be willing, not only able, but willing to reemploy Jonah is incredible. How many times has that been me where I denied Christ, where I denied doing what he had called me to do and wanted to be the Lord of my own life and wanted to go my own direction, yet time after time God is re-employing me in his service and allowing for me to work for him. Let's not miss that. The point of today's message is the gospel is the greatest gift of all. The gospel is the greatest gift of all. We learned in chapter 1 that Nineveh was a powerful nation. They were both great and wicked, uh, had great power, but they were destructive. They didn't yield to God as Lord. They did whatever they wanted. They were powerful and perverse. Uh, and Smiley, when we were talking about this in chapter 1, drew some comparisons between Nineveh, the great and wicked city, and our country here in America. Is it not true that we live in an incredibly great nation? We are blessed to have the freedoms that we enjoy, to have the military and the men and women that serve in that way to protect us, to have um, just the many pleasures that we get to enjoy in America. We are exceedingly blessed, yet 
while America is a great nation, it is not a perfect nation. We are very, very wicked. We kill our uh, innocent children in the womb. Um, we turn and we slander our neighbors. We constantly forsake God's call on our nation, on our own individual lives. We are a wicked nation. So there, there are some parallels that you can draw between Nineveh and America. Jonah was an Israelite, and the Israelites um, would split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and so jo- Jonah lived in the northern kingdom of Israel, and the Assyrians, um, Nineveh being kind of the capital or the uh, focal point, big metro area of Assyria, uh, they would be the ones that would take them into slavery. Judah in the south would be taken by the Babylonians, and uh, Israel in the north, the ten tribes there, would be taken taken by Assyria in uh, a couple decades from where we're at. So Israel viewed the Ninevites, the Assyrians, as wicked people. They're sinners. (laughs) They're not like us. Yet Israel, they weren't all that they didn't have it all together either. They weren't perfect. They were sinners as well. Uh, but they looked at the Assyrians and thought, man, they are especially bad. <laughs> I might be, you know, 15% bad, but they're really bad. Uh, and that, that just wasn't the case, unfortunately. So Israel was God's covenant chosen people in the Old Testament. Um, God had chosen a people from Abraham to, to be the mediators of his covenant throughout the world. What, what, what the Israelites were missing was that they were not called to be the sole recipients of the covenant promises, but they were called to dispense it to the world. Uh, in, in Genesis 12, 1 through 2, it says this. This is a portion of that uh, main promise, the main covenant promise that's the foundation for the, the, Bibli- the whole biblical narrative. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. Israel is going to be blessed by God, but they were called to be a blessing to others. Israel liked that first bit of the covenant promise. And, you know, honestly, if we're, if we're being real with ourselves, we like that too. We like the fact that we've been blessed by God in our salvation, that the life that we now have in Christ is an exceedingly better life than the life we had before him, and that we have a hope and a future to point us to an even greater life um, once we die and once we go to be with the Lord. Right? We like being blessed. Israel liked being God's covenant people, but they forgot the second portion of that covenant promise, that they were called to be a blessing. They were called to be missionaries in their world, as are we. Yet, we like the soft, comfortable, cushy, uh, easy life that so often Christians adopt of, I'm going to be saved, I'm going to be blessed, I'm going to go to church once a week and sing a couple songs, listen to a message, and everything's good, (sighs) conveniently forgetting that we're called to be a blessing. We're called to be missionaries to a world that doesn't know Jesus. We're called to be mediators of this covenant today. And we forget that time and time again. 
So in verses 1 and 2, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. It says, Arise. The word of the Lord came and he said, Arise. And what did Jonah do? Verse 3, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly um, great city, a three days walk. He went. God said, rise. He arose, and he went. That's not what he did the first time. The first time God called him and said, arise, go to Nineveh, he ran. But this time, he goes. He goes. God is calling us to the same uh, to the same mission. He, God is calling us to arise as well. How do I know that? Well, let me show you some verses and maybe, maybe I can convince you. Uh, Psalm 96.3 says, Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. Okay. Mark 16.15, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Okay, well, it's starting, I'm starting to get it. Uh, maybe we're supposed to do something. Maybe, maybe this one will convince you, push you over the edge. Now go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God says, arise. And so Jonah, this time, arose. He's calling us to the same. God is calling us to be obedient to his commands, and he has explicitly told us, arise, go, preach the gospel, make disciples, spread my kingdom. If you were under the impression that the Christian life was soft, cushy, and comfortable, that you could come to church once a week, segregate your life out into Jesus and everything else, be transformed by the gospel, and then do nothing with it. Be, have your eyes opened, your ears now hearing, your life completely radically transformed, and then you get to tell nobody about it. You were mistaken. That is not what we're called to as Christians. We're not called to sit on the sidelines. We're called to arise. We're called to arrive. So why are you still sitting here? Go! I'm just kidding. We're, we're gonna, we have a few more minutes. Um, but <laughs> we're called to arise and to do and to go and be the ambassadors of Christ here on our planet. I want you to also notice there in, in our verse, verse 3, um, that it says that he went according to the word of the Lord. That's important. That's really, really important. He didn't go according to his own interpretation of God's word. He didn't go uh, because he felt like going. He went according to the word of the Lord. And, and I've been asked before, like, when we hear from God, is it, is it an audible voice? You know, some people have claimed that they've heard an audible voice from heaven and that that was God. That has never been the case for me. I've never heard an audible voice. We see in Scripture people hearing an audible voice from God. That is not something I have personally experienced, but I have something better than that. Did you know that this book right here, 
the Bible, is God's final revelation, all that he has decided and determined that he needed to say to humanity, here, this, complete. There is no need for furthering ongoing revelation or any new words from God. Everything that we need is here in these pages. We're at a really unique uh, intersection in history. The people in Jonah's day did not have this. They didn't have the Old Testament together compiled either. The people in Jesus' day did not have this compiled. We have the final, authoritative, inerrant word of God that we can hear what God would have to say to us at every moment and point in our lives to direct our steps and to guide us in our Christian lives. Bound up in pages that we can read and open any time. I once heard somebody say um, that if you want to hear from God, read his Bible. And if you want to hear from him audibly, read it out loud. Okay? This is the word of the Lord. Did you know that every year we go through the New Testament as a church together? If you didn't know that, if you're not doing that, man, I would encourage you to do that. It's great to be in community with others sparring you along and keeping you on track and reading the Word of God together as a congregation. We're going to start in Genesis, or I'm sorry, in Matthew at the beginning of January. And man, I encourage you, pick up a study, read along with us, be in God's Word, hear from Him. That was a little bit of a shameless plug, but I do think it is necessary for a believer who wants to hear from God, who wants to go according to the Word of the Lord, to read His Word. Do you want to do things according to the word of the Lord? Look at the word of the Lord. Plug over. All right. Verses 4 and 5 say this. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. Remember, it it was a three days walk to get around and through the city. He's now one-third of his way through there. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Sackcloth is, I kind of think it's like burlap. It's made of camel hair. It's not a comfortable thing. They're doing this as a a sign of contrition, as an outward sign of repentance. Um, So they're making themselves uncomfortable on purpose. They're sitting on ashes. I can't can't imagine that that's pleasant. Um, They're covering themselves in sackcloth. They're fasting. None of these things are comfortable, but they're doing that as outward representations of the repentance that's happening in their hearts. Jonah didn't want to preach to the Ninevites. Jonah hated the Ninevites. Jonah looked at the Ninevites as wicked people, and he thought of himself as more superior than them, and he didn't want to see the Ninevites saved. Have you, have you ever thought like somebody was too far out of the reach of God or that, that, oh, I would share the gospel with them, but I'm pretty sure they would respond negatively, so I'm just going to let that alone. I'm not going to deal with that. Man, don't fall into the sin of Jonah where he's thinking that he knows better than God. He thinks he should judge whether people are worthy or not instead of God. That's not our job. Jonah didn't want to see the Ninevites saved. Um, His main issue, I think, is that he forgot how wicked he himself was. How how dare we look at a different person and go, ah, they're beyond 
the reach of God. They don't deserve it. If you've ever thought that, that's, that's absurd. You are wicked. I am wicked. None of us deserve the grace to which we've been extended. None of us deserve it. We all need Jesus, especially me. Okay? I think that's maybe where his issue was. Something crazy happens here in these verses. I don't think we should understate it. I, th- I think that if you've read the book of Jonah, if you heard the story, if you've l- heard it 40 years ago in, in like kids' ministry or something, the main thing that sticks out to us is that a dude got swallowed by a big fish. <laughs> That's the main point, right? The whole book of Jonah is about this fact that this guy got eaten by a big fish. No. <laughs> And I would even venture to say that that's not the most miraculous thing that happens in the book of Jonah. It's not. Well, what is? I would say that the fact, we miss, the, we miss this so often. We forget that God raising even one sinner from the dead, one sinner repenting and believing the gospel and being transformed by Jesus is a miracle. It's a miracle. The preaching of the gospel and the changing of hearts of men is miraculous. God is literally raising a dead person to life. He's giving a blind person sight. He's giving a deaf person ears to hear. He's transforming lives. That is a miracle. And here, we have a glimmer of a look into what God does to save people. God uses a reluctant prophet, somebody who didn't want to see the Ninevites saved, who didn't want to follow God's call, and he uses him to reach 120,000 people in Nineveh. 120,000 people repented and believed from Jonah's terse, much-to-be-desired, judgment-only gospel proclamation. (laughs) He literally said to them, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, there could have been more words that he used, but that's what we have accounted for here in our our Bibles. (laughs) How wonderfully miraculous is that, that God would use a sinner who doesn't want to be there. It seemed like he ran the first time, and then the second time he had a horrible attitude. Okay, And God still uses him to bring home sinners and bring people eternal life. Save people out of the clutches of hell. I mean, if I'm going to tell you one thing that I think is miraculous in the book of Jonah, and I only get to pick one, there's several, I'd say this mass uh, turning to Christ in Jonah from a terse, uh, judgment-only message is by far the most miraculous thing in the whole book. God uses people as the means through which... people hear the gospel, repent and believe. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says this, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. God uses human beings to be his hands and feet here on our earth. God uses human sinners to be the conduits through how he accomplishes his evangelical purposes here on earth. He uses you and I. (laughs) 
Do you know why God doesn't use perfect people? Ah, yes. <laughs> there are none. There's no perfect people. There was, well, there was one, but there aren't perfect people. And so God can't use perfect people. He uses sinners. He uses sinners. I don't know if you realize it or not, but the person that led you to faith in Christ is a wretched sinner. <laughs> Apart from Christ, they are an enemy of God. The person that led you to faith in Christ. Did you know that, that me, I'm a sinner? Did you know that uh, Strider and Smiley, everybody on staff at Good News, they're all sinners? <sighs> you have no one perfect leader here. You aren't a perfect dad. You aren't a perfect mom. <laughs> no one's perfect. You guys know what the admittance ticket, the, this, you must be this tall to ride, is to get into heaven? Perfection. Oh, that's not good news now. That means that we've all fallen short of this standard to get into heaven, and we're missing it. The boat's sailing off, and we've missed it. We're still at the harbor. God doesn't use perfect people. And for me, that's an incredibly life-giving truth. <laughs> it's an incredibly life-giving truth. God uses people like me and you to accomplish his plan for the world and to reach lost people and to advance his kingdom. What does that mean to us? That means that the power is not in us. The power is in Jesus. The power of the gospel is in the message. It's not in the messenger. It's in the gospel. It's not in the speaker. That means that your eloquence of speaking, your knowledge of the Bible, your hesitancy to tell others about Jesus, your hatred for other people, your sins, your issues, can't get in God's way. Isn't that good news that God would use you, a sinner, to accomplish his means? You can't get in the way. You can't mess it up. <laughs> Jonah wasn't really offering himself up to be a super usable prophet. He was reluctant. He ran away. Uh, and then he comes and he gives the gospel with kind of a bad attitude. How much more could Christ use us if we want to be used, if we're willing? God can use you despite you. So in just those few words that Jonah spoke, at 40 days, you'll be overthrown. God changes the hearts and minds of people in Nineveh, and a crazy mass conversion happened. No other prophet in the entire history of the world, in the whole Bible, has the track record of Jonah. <laughs> Just like seven or eight words, and 120,000 people are saved? That's crazy. No, he's, he's by far the most successful prophet in the Bible. And yet, 700-some years later, Jesus would be born in a manger, a far greater prophet. He would be born in extremely humble circumstances. He would grow and live a life that you and I couldn't live. Jesus was perfect. He lived a perfect life. That's a life we couldn't live for two seconds. Jesus lived a perfect life, and then when he was 33 years old, he was crucified. He died. 
he was killed. And so Jonah, 700-something years prior, preached a judgment-only glimmer of the gospel that we now see the full picture of. We now know that the fulfillment of the gospel, of redemptive history, we know his name. His name's Jesus. They didn't know his name. We know and we see with greater clarity the fullness of the gospel. The Messiah has come to save sinners, to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came. (laughs) The people of Nineveh heard, repented, and believed from only a glimmer of the gospel, a gospel that we now see in full color. Jesus was no Jonah. Jesus was no Jonah. And we we can rejoice at that fact. Jonah was hesitant, reluctant, didn't want to go. Didn't want to tell people to repent. Didn't want to offer them hope. Jesus came willingly. Not only just willingly, but gladly, joyfully came, humbling himself, not manually being humbled by God by being swallowed by a big fish, but personally humbling himself joyfully and came from his throne in heaven, from being the creator and and sustainer of the universe to taking on human flesh and bone. What a humbling act Jesus did. He didn't say, "Uh, I don't really think that they're worth it. (laughs) Jonah said that. Jonah said, I don't know. I don't like them. I think I'm better than them. Jesus is better than us. <laughs> but Jesus came joyfully to save us. What an incredible... Jesus is no Jonah. And we can praise God for that. Yet, when Jonah came preaching a fragmented, shorter, much-to-be-desired portion of the gospel, Jesus preached the fullness of the gospel. In fact, he was the fulfillment of the gospel. And you know what happened? They killed him. 120,000 people repented and believed the gospel with Jonah. But when Jesus came, when the creator of the universe stood before the people uh, in his time, they murdered him. (laughs) They murdered him. Jesus came to die. Jesus was born, in fact, to die. This is what we celebrate during Christmas, that Jesus came and was born to live and die for you. Why did he have to die? Well, when God created the world, it was perfect, right? You're seeing, you're seeing a um, reoccurring thing. You have to be perfect to get into heaven. God created the world perfect. But man chose a different way. Instead of obeying God, God allowed for them to deviate from his plan. And people sinned. People chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the thing that God told them, don't do that. And in doing that, they separated themselves. They fractured their relationship with God. And so now, every human being who has ever lived has lived in a fractured state away from God. We have a sin nature. That means At our core, the moment we're born, we're born into sin and death. 
While Jesus was born to die, we are born dead. Everything that we do, everything that has the semblance of good in our lives, good acts, everything is touched and tarnished and infected by sin. That's not good news. You, know, you must be this tall to ride. You must be perfect to get into heaven, and we're falling drastically short of that. But Jesus didn't leave us there. Uh, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. What we've earned is sin, death, hell. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The greatest gift that we could ever receive is Jesus. He came to die so that your death could be reversed. You will die physically, but spiritually you can become alive. Jesus died physically so that you could be raised spiritually. When Jesus came, when he was born, when he brought the message of the gospel, when he came to be the hope of the world, people rejected him, they crucified him, but this was all part of God's plan because Jesus was born to die. Jesus even said this um, to the people that were rejecting him. Matthew 12, 41. <laughs> Speaking of Jonah, he said, The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. They repented at Jonah's preaching. Can you believe that? And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The people of Jesus' day had the whole picture. The creator, sustainer, and protector of the whole universe was standing in front of them in human bodily form, and they said, we don't want it. But the people in Jonah's day heard this fragmented uh, gospel presentation that lacked all the good news, and yet they repented. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Jesus is lesser than Jonah. I'm not saying that he's not as good of a prophet as Jonah. He's the greatest prophet. He's the fulfillment of the prophets. He's the climax of the prophets. Jesus came to be a priest and a prophet. But what I am saying is that it is God who saves people, not people. God had determined and had worked in the hearts of the people in Nineveh as to respond to the presentation before them by Jonah in a positive manner, whereas the people in Jesus' day, they rejected him. God knew that. God determined that. God wanted Jesus to die. Jesus was pleased to die. <laughs> Jesus was born to die. A greater prophet than Jonah was in their presence with the fullness of the gospel on display. Jesus himself is the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption, and they killed him. God saves people. People don't save people. The power is not in you. It's in the gospel. The power is in the message, not the messenger. What does this mean for us? That means that if you're hearing me, if you've never accepted Jesus before and you're, and you're hearing the words I'm saying, maybe for the first time, maybe there's some clarity in there that you haven't held on to before. But if Jesus is drawing you, it's not because of my speaking, it's not because of 
anything I've done, but it's because of God drawing sinners to himself. Are you hearing? Can you hear? Let me read this and see if you listen. Mark 1, 14 through 15. Now after John, that is John the Baptist, had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Do you hear those words? Are they meaning something to you? Are they opening your, your deaf ears? And are, are, you, are you feeling Jesus move in your heart, in your mind, in your soul? If you are, then he's drawing you to himself. He's wooing you into himself. Repent and believe the gospel. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do that now. He could, he made, he could have made it any way that he wanted to. He could have made it as difficult as possible for you to meet the height requirement. He could have made it as easy as possible. And you know what he did? He made it explicitly easy for a person to be saved. At Good News, we like to say that it's as easy as ABC, where you admit, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve your grace. I am like Jonah. I judge other people. I'm wicked that, that are wicked, yet I myself am wicked. I admit that you are Lord and I am not. I am broken. And you believe that Jesus came to die. You believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of the gospel, that that which was lost is now being saved through Christ, that he was the perfect substitutionary atonement for our sins, that his perfection is imputed to us, his righteousness, and now we get to meet the height requirement and make it into heaven. I believe that. You admit, you believe, and you commit. See, you commit, Jesus, you are in charge, I am not. I don't want to be in charge. When I'm in charge, I run. I flee to Tarshish. I, I, I wreck my life. But when you're in charge, Lord, it leads to prospering. When you're in charge, Lord, when you are guiding my steps, when you're in control, my life, I, I'm not wrecking my life. Do you hear these words? Admit, believe, and commit. Do you hear Jesus calling you to himself? Admit, believe, commit. Believe and repent. What does the word repent mean? Because I think, if we're honest, the word repent has some negative connotations. You probably, if you've driven through, I haven't seen them as much here, but if you, if you drive like South Carolina, <laughs> Georgia and stuff, you'll see some billboards that just say like, Repent! Maybe that's helping people. It sure helped people in Jonah's time, right? But we don't have to cling only on to the bad news. We have the good news, right? The word repent seems to have some negative connotations like I need to change everything about myself and I'm, uh, Lord, I'm sorry and just and asking for forgiveness over and over and, and, and putting on sackcloth and ashes and, uh, you know, paying your penitence or whatever, penance, um, yeah, that's not what repentance is. In the original Greek, the word for repentance is metanoia, which means to change your mind or have, really, have your mind changed. So it's not necessarily being sorry. It, there's an aspect of that in there, but it's being willing to let Jesus change your life, your thoughts, your minds, your affections. Repentance does not require of you to put on sackcloth or sit on a pile of ashes or even to fast. These are physical acts of an internal, inward heart change. 
physical acts of showing God that he is foremost of your desires. But repentance is a spiritual inward act. Repentance is an act of humility. Admitting, I'm not God and I shouldn't be. That God is much more just and gracious than I could ever be. It is acknowledging, I'm not God, I'm not the judge, I'm not in charge, and admitting that Jesus should have his way. It is acknowledging your sin and giving in to the lordship of Christ and letting your thoughts and your minds be changed by him. This is not a one-time thing either. It's not repent and believe, and then you're good. It's repent, believe, repent, believe, repent. It's not a one-time act. This is a lifestyle. I pray that I would be a person of repentance daily. I want Jesus to give me something to repent about every day, to change my mind about, to change my desires on. I ask that God would grant me, grant me repentance every day. Jesus, would you grant me an ability to repent? Maybe you're like Jonah. Maybe you've been saved a while. You've forgotten the covenant promises that you were called to be blessed and be a blessing. Maybe you've decided other people are unworthy, but you are. Man, repent. Have your mind changed by Jesus. Realize that everybody needs the gospel, especially you. Perhaps you've been saved for a while and you have this idea that you need God's grace less than broken sinners. (laughs) Oh. We need God's grace now today as much, if not more, than when we first believed. I now see how much of a sinner I am. I'm a, that's, that part of my life has been illuminated, and I more fully see how good God is and how wicked I am. I need God's grace every day. If you don't feel that way, repent. Have God change your heart on that topic and move to have your thoughts and mind and affection to be more aligned with Christ, to be conformed to Him. It can be sins, obvious sins like pride or being quick to anger or sexual sins that we need to repent of. We need to give those away and be more aligned with our Savior. It can be hidden sins. This is where it gets kind of scary is because hidden sins, you might not even be aware that you need to repent of them. John Calvin, who was a reformer, um, said that the human heart is an idol factory. That means we're churning out idols and putting other things in the place of God repeatedly. Over and over and over, it is our desire to serve our sin and whatever other thing other than Jesus. Things like a need for approval, control, security, uh, pursuit of knowledge, respect or stability. These things are good But when we put them in place of Jesus, we're missing the mark. We're falling short. We're creating an idol out of that thing. And let me, just hear me. You have all those things in Jesus. You have security and respect and hope and and knowledge and approval in Christ. Don't look elsewhere. Repent if you're looking elsewhere and be aligned with your Savior. Any number of these issues can be uh, idols in our lives. And we need to be people who are constantly scrounging our hearts, searching our souls, and finding these things, handing them over to God, and asking him, grant me repentance, change my mind on this. I want to look more like you, Christ. I want you to hear this. This is important. God doesn't owe you repentance. You don't deserve 
to be able to repent. It is only by the grace of God that he has allowed for us to even repent, to have our minds and our hearts and affections changed. It is only by his grace that we have Christ as a model to conform our lives to and Christ as a means to which we will be able to change our lives and look more like him. It is by grace that you have been able to repent. By grace, you can have your heart, mind, affections changed. Hmm. Romans 2.4 says this. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? It is the kindness, the mercy, the grace the all-encompassing love that causes us and leads us to repentance, to want to look more like our Savior. The people of Nineveh repented. They turned from their ways and believed in God. Verse 9 says this, Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. The king had a hope, not an expectation necessarily, like, well, if I do this, God will save me, and I, and because that's what He does. I do something, and then He follows up on His end of the bargain. No, He had a hope that maybe, if I realize I'm a sinner, I'm broken, and I commit my heart to Him, maybe He'll save me. And we have that same hope, and uh, more firmly confirmed in the fact that Jesus said that all those who come to Him. He will never cast out. Jesus saves sinners. And he had a hope of that, the king there in Nineveh. And we do too. Verse 10. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. This verse raises questions in my mind. Wait a second. So... God was going to do something, and then he changed his mind. Uh, Does God repent? No. (laughs) God does not repent. God doesn't change his mind. In fact, Israel is sustained throughout these times where they're wavering and going away from God, coming to God, and swerving constantly. They're sustained and not destroyed because God does not change his mind. So what's happening here? Every time a sinner repents and believes the gospel, God does change his disposition towards him. Miraculously. We go from being enemies of God, haters of God, wanting nothing to do with him, being at enmity with God, being children of wrath, to being his beloved children, sitting at his table with him. We go from wanting nothing to do with God, to Him being our everything. Every time a sinner repents and believes the gospel, God changes His disposition towards him. But I don't want you to to think, God knew. God knew that He was going to save the people in Nineveh. God knew that Jonah was going to run, flee to Tarshish. God knew that He was going to send a a storm. God knew that He was going to send a fish to swallow Jonah. God knew Jonah would repent. God knew that Jonah would go the second time, and God knew that the people of Nineveh 
would repent and believe. God knew that the people of Jesus' day would reject him and crucify him. All of these things are culminating together because Jesus came, was born, and was born to die. But because God knows these things, this in no way minimizes the necessity and the call of Jonah to preach the gospel to the Ninevites. He is the means through which the Ninevites would hear the gospel, and it in no way diminishes or negates your responsibility to arise and to go and to preach the gospel. Our action step today is simple. Arise. Verses 1 through 3 says... It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. Verse 3, it says, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. In verse 6, the king, when hearing the gospel and being transformed by it, said he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe. He took off his robe, his royalty, and said, you be Lord. Arise. Because the gospel is the greatest gift anyone could ever receive, we should be eager to give it away. And God will and can use us to reach others and give his gospel gift to others. God calls Jonah to arise. Jonah arose. God calls you to arise. What do you do? Are you running? Are you going to do what he says? Are you going to listen according to the word of the Lord? Are you going to go or are you going to be stagnant? Are you going to preach the gospel, the greatest gift, or are you going to try to slide by doing nothing. You've been transformed by the gospel. What are you going to do? You should arise. The kindness of Christ towards us causes us and leads us into repentance and to a desire to share the greatest gift of the world. We are called to be Christ's ambassadors in the world. He calls us to go, to arise, and we should desire to say yes. And if you're not saying yes, you should desire to repent so that you can say yes. Do as he instructs the first time, unlike Jonah did. Jesus is inviting us, you and I, on the adventure of a lifetime. He's letting us be a part of his redemptive history, you and I, sinners. He was born some 2,000 years ago, came, lived, and died, and gave us a way to be in relationship with, Jesus, with God because of his cross, because of his sacrifice for us. This is the greatest gift we could receive this Christmas. Hey, if you've received this gift already, it's still the greatest gift you could receive this Christmas. You need the grace of God now, today, as much as when you first believed. If he's able and, and powerful to save you, he's able and powerful to sustain you, to keep you. You need him now, today. Realize that you have Jesus, you have the greatest gift that you could receive ever. But it's not only the greatest gift you could receive, it's the greatest gift you could give somebody. Why would you not want to be used by God to, for him to work through you and for him to dispense his gift of eternal life to a person, to give his gift of life to a dead person? Why would you not want to be used by God? Why would you not want to arise and be useful to him? Here at Good News, we make a big deal about evangelists and personal evangelism as part of the Christian life. You're called to share the gospel with people. And we're close to 100 people who have shared, if we haven't eclipsed that by now, and we might have, 100 people, different people, have shared their faith with a friend or family member and led somebody to faith in Christ. 
I'm so glad to be in a church that knows the priority that Jesus has given us to arise. Did you know that through the witness of Good News Church, that this week 20 people came to faith in Jesus for the first time? I mean, every time one of these life rings goes on this post, every time God awakens a sleeping dead sinner and gives him eternal life, it is a miracle. It is a miracle. Let us never get used to, and let us never grow weary of winning souls for Christ. This is the greatest gift you could ever give. Why would you not want to partner with us? This coming week is our Christmas Eve services. You can invite friends to come to our service where they'll hear the gospel. You can share the hope that you have in Christ with somebody. You can lead somebody to faith in Christ this Christmas. Give the greatest gift of all time to somebody this Christmas. Be bold. Why would you not? God can use even a reluctant prophet, even somebody who doesn't want to save people. If you love people around you, share the gospel with them. God can use you. The power is not in you. It's in the gospel. It's in the message, not the messenger. Be available and let Jesus use you to give someone the greatest gift of all time this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your abundant mercy, grace, and compassion in our lives. Lord, it is that grace that leads us to wanting to look more like you, to wanting to conform to your image, God. It is by your grace that we've been saved. It's by your image that we can, it's by your grace that we can repent and we can be transformed to look more like you, Lord. If there's anybody in this room that does not, has not laid claim to this greatest gift of all time, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and that you would awaken them, that the lights would come on and they'd go, Lord, you should be in the driver's seat, not me. I'm a sinner. I believe that you sent your son to die in my place. I believe that Jesus was born to die. I believe he was perfect and I'm not. And because he was perfect, I can be forgiven and his perfection can be mine so that I can go to heaven and live for all eternity with you. I want to commit my heart and mind to you, Lord. I want to be yours. I want you to be king of my heart. I'm tired of being the Lord of my own life. You know so much better. Help me to repent of the things that keep me at bay, that keep me hesitant to share your message, that keep me reluctant to proclaim your cross to the world. Jesus, make me bold. Jesus, make me bold to give your gift of eternal life to somebody this Christmas season. We love you, and it's because you first loved us. Amen.